This week on Kettle of Fish, artist and author Kari Andrews stops by to talk about taking down the 1%. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 30-minute comic book money shot after the one hour of political foreplay. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the airways, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, and I am broadcasting to you live, as always, from the top of good old Meth Mountain. And let me introduce my crime-fighting, nail-biting, night-riding, Judge Dread-deciding producer, the Mockingbird to my... Hawkeye, the rogue to my gambit, the Aunt May to my John Jonah Jameson Sr., D Maven, D Prizer, uh, D the producer, um, so many Ds. And, and I D's think... soon to be on AGT. Yes, yes, AGT is coming very, very soon for auditions and whatnot. You can rename the show AGD no. after you? No, that's cute, but no. I think um, you'll get that stealth performance. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, no, I think I'm probably the Penny Dreadful to your witch doctor this Halloween, I believe. Oh, that's so obvious. Bad host. Bad host. <laughs> bad host. Old bad old host. host. Uh, Halloween, by the way. Ah, uh, yes. This Halloween, we are going to be trick-or-treat. No, I don't know if we're trick-or-treating. Yeah, we're probably trick-or-treating with Mormozine. Um, and we are going to hit up the nerdiest of nerd parties with super nerd herself, Rachel from King of the Nerds. And you will be able to see all this and much more on our brand new YouTube channel. Uh, just head on over to YouTube and look for Tin Can Media or Tin Can Media Network. I think either one will um, get you there. And of course, you can always head to www.tincan.media. No.com. Just tincan.media. Hit enter and boom. There you go. And that's where we are. And we're going to have Very nice. Gas. And let me also get my co-host in here, a girl who can out-riddle the Riddler, out-joke the Joker, and give Mr. Freeze the cold shoulder, I'm talking so fast, shoulder, (laughs) Fern, the moist-voiced heart. Fern, the moist-voiced, cold shoulder, out-joking, out-riddling heart. Mm. That's a mouthful, man, I really, really, I really, really hope moisture is not your superpower. (laughs) Moisture is not, I don't know. I guess that depends on who you ask. <laughs> would, these be, would these be fellow heroes, I'm asking, or villains? Nefarious mm-hmm. types or heroic types? I'm not sure. I think those powers could both be used for good and evil. So, um, you know what? We're starting Again, to paint a very gonna... gruesome image here. <laughs> not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. That's all I'm going to say. And moving on. <laughs> Alrighty, um, D. Why don't you tell us who we got coming up in the next couple future episodes, and then we will get Kari in here. Yes, tons and tons of stuff coming up on musical osmosis and funny thing about politics and kettle of fish. So the only thing I can say is just keep an eye on our Facebook pages, keep an eye on TinCan.media because we've got tons and tons of things coming up, including but not limited to. Um, Alpist is joining us again on musical osmosis. They are touring the pistes, which has been long longest they, they they haven't done it forever um christine madrano is joining us once again colette myers will be joining us yedoye travis i'm sure i'm killing his name but i think it's yedoye 
Um, Vermin Supreme will be with us once again. Rachel Mason, and we are doing a 21 Punk Salute, which will be another one of those super fun juggling acts with multiple guests all in one small time frame. And don't forget um, John Hall, poet and musical yes. madman from King Missile. That's right. And that one I'm actually looking forward to because... Um, did I give oh, you so you're not book? looking forward to any of the other well, ones? Well, no, I'm just going to give you the reason behind this one. Um, uh, did I give you that book, or do I still have yeah. it? Okay. No, no. So, um, everybody that's ever seen a Daily Affirmations book, you know what a great tool they are to make you feel better and uplift your spirits and everything else. Well, what if there was something the opposite of that? That's what John Hall did, and it's hilarious. Oh, I so, thought that's what Fox News did. Well... <laughs> that too. Well, this one's funny though. So it's called oh, Daily okay. Negations and it is by John, I believe it's John S. Hall. And oh, it yes. is the funniest shit. It's just, it's hilarious. You guys just go is to it Amazon. Trump tweets? Is it like daily Trump tweets? No. No, it's 2006. So it's an older book. But it does uh, remind you of things like, you know, you always worry about some problems. Um, and you know, too late. You know, till it's you st- don't start worrying about them until it's too late to do anything about them. And you know, you forget all about these teeny tiny little problems that may never happen. Those are the ones you need to worry about. Those are the ones that could come and ruin your life. <laughs> it's just hilarious. You just got to read it. The sky is falling. All right, yes. let's get today's guest in here. Um, writer and artist of Renato Jones, The 1%, My New Love, me being a Bernie guy. I love all the political undertones in this book. Also, he redid Iron Fist, The Living Weapon. I love everything he does. And he's calling in live, actually, from the Baltimore Comic Con. Kari Andrews. How you doing, Kari? Hey, guys. How's it going? We are magnificent on this Sunday. We survived yet another apocalypse was supposed to happen yesterday. So I consider myself lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy times, man. Crazy times. Could not agree more. Hey, I want to thank you for calling in today. I know you're incredibly busy. You're actually at the Baltimore Comic Con now. Um, how's the vibe out there? I know you've probably been doing cons a long time, right? Yeah, I've been doing them a long time, but I don't do that many. I do like maybe a handful a year. I'm not really, you know, it's not really my thing i love going to them but it takes a lot of effort to go so i'll do like a you know a handful a year but i've never been to baltimore but it's been great it's an awesome show it's very comic book friendly and it's not too many uh weird uh, media guests that you know it's like it's a good show it's big it's fun it's it's very comic book focused it's cool let me ask you something about kind of mainstreaming here. Now that comic books are a big booming industry, especially in film, have you noticed over the years what the crowds, are they changing to be more mainstream or is it still mostly they're there for the love of the actual written word? Well, the big difference is a lot of shows are transitioning from comic book shows to pop culture shows. So right. um, they, a lot of shows are bringing in more and more actors and celebrities for autographs and pictures, and that draws, you know, a, a, a different crowd. You know, a lot of a lot of that crowd um, don't really they know of comic books, but they're there to see some uh, someone they watch on TV. <laughs> so it's, you know, you get a bit of a, a split in some of the big shows where people who are there for the celebrities and people who are there for comics, and it kind of fractures the audience a little bit. But a show like Baltimore is, is great because it does have some celebrities, but they're very comic book appropriate like Finn Jones is here and uh, Linda Carter nice. is here and you know so it's like it's still it's still in the in that target of uh, you know true comic book fans have you talked to Finn Jones what does he think about your living weapon book I've never talked to him I've never, I've never met him um, I did see he had he had one of my quotes from the book on his 
Jesse room door for a little while. So oh, cool. nice. But uh, yeah, haven't met him. That is a great tip of the hat. All right, so let me ask you this, and then we're going to jump into some of your work. This is something that's kind of been a sticking point with me. I've been collecting comics since I was 13. I'm 46 now. I've got like 10,000 comics. I would say 8,000 of them are Marvel. Over the years, as this has become more mainstream, and I used to theme. I was like, when will they finally do a great Marvel movie? I can't stand these like little half-ass like Captain America movies. And now that I got what I wanted, it's so much on Netflix. It's so much five blockbusters a summer. I, I kind of feel like I want it to pull back a little now. It's becoming less special. Do you like the mainstreaming right. of comic book icons because it's more accessible, or do you feel like you're kind of losing some of the magic because of it? I mean, it sounds like we have a similar past history of comics. So, I mean, what a, what a problem to have that, oh, maybe there's too many comic book movies out in the theaters or on TV, you know? So I remember growing up, and there was the Batman movies. And that right, was about yeah. It. And, uh... You know, it's like, yeah, it seems a little oversaturated, but again, what a problem to have. I, I would rather have this problem than, than, uh, than, than none of it. Some, some of those shows are pretty great. So, you know, no, I think it's a great part. It feels, it feels a little, it feels a little saturated, but I'm sure it'll bounce stuff out. It always does. So what you're saying is you kind of think like the comic book movie bubble will burst kind of like how comic books did in the nineties. Well, here's what I really think is that comic books are so deep and the sub-genres sub within the comic books are so deep that much like a comic book reader, you first get introduced to comics through Spider-Man or maybe it was G.I. Joe or Back in the Day or whatever. And then as you become a reader, you start to enjoy those other books that maybe you don't see right at the surface. And I think the same thing is happening with movies where you have the general audience being exposed to characters like Deadpool or, you know, other kind of like... Uh, alternative uh, choices and I think I think that you know you have Preacher as a TV show I, I, I see it's more that the the iterations of those conflicts through film and television are going to go deeper uh, maybe not less but they're going to become uh, you know different shows shows that maybe aren't so conflicty on the surface but just happen to be conflicts because there's almost no other medium right now that allows so much creative freedom like when you draw or write a comic book, you just do it. There's not committees, there's not producers, you're just creating great content. And very few mediums uh, allow such freedom to create content. And I think that's why comics are being exploited now because when you have creators given the power and freedom to create just cool stuff, uh, you have so much, you have so much more cool stuff to, to then iterate into that committee that makes movies or that committee that makes television, you know? I think there's a lot of power in comic books that's just barely being tapped right now. That is a great point. You've kind of turned me around. Now I want more comic book movies. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. My favorite character growing up was Spider-Man. I have got to talk about Spider-Man Reign. Um, this is a book that came out, God, 10, 12 years ago. I didn't really get the nuances back then. I went back and read it recently, and I was like, Oh, wow. Like, I'm seeing things in it, of course, I didn't see in my 20-some, early 30-some-year-old mind. And one thing that struck me when looking at Renato Jones and going back and looking at Spider-Man Reign, you were still talking about, even before Hunger Games and all that was trendy, you were still writing about dark, authoritarian, like these dystopian-type futures. And and is, I'm just kind of wondering where the inspiration came from before 
people are kind of waking up with social media and getting different forms of information. Well, definitely the time I created Spider-Man Rain was, you know, some of it was a response to things like the Patriot Act and things like yeah. that. That, you know, I'm, Can I'm Canadian, um, so we have our own politics and our own uh, systems here, but uh, the state is so close. I can't help but obsess about American politics and uh, and the uh, and situations, and it does leak in, leak into the books. And at that at that time specifically, there was such a mass. People were so scared. There was such a ma a willingness on a mass level to trade away responsibility, personal responsibility for security, uh, to trade away privacy for security, to trade away freedom for security, and everyone was just um, doing it, but without really, I think, thinking about the consequences. And and for me, that was like, oh, that's the book. And so I really chased that out in in my own ways because Spider-Man for me has always been about a character who learns self-responsibility and self-empowerment and you know he's really a lonely a loner guy kind of a lone wolf guy who tries to do good doesn't always succeed but tries and i really identify with that kind of a character well let me kind of ask you a total fanboy question and when you go into a book like spider-man or iron fist for that matter how much creative control do you have i mean is there a list or like hey you have to kind of preserve the continuity of this character or like with rain do they say just go crazy do what you want well, this is the great thing about comic books. I've rarely ever encountered any resistance to any of my crazy ideas. And, you know, I, I, I believe creators should leave big footprints, make big, take big swings and, you know, try to leave marks. And, but I always also have a personal priority to reinvest in the core of that character with whatever crazy is going on with whatever I'm doing. I want to reinvest and, um, in that core, like who is that character? So with Spider-Man, it was with great power comes great responsibility. So that was that was that was a theme I could just chase out throughout the book. And with Iron Fist, I felt like the reason he hadn't transitioned into an A-level character was because his core was mud muddled throughout the years. And so I went back to his origin stories, and it really is a martial arts revenge and empty quest revenge story that his origin. And I reinvested in that. And I think people kind of forgot that his origins are pretty dark. He's a multi-billionaire um, guy, who kid, who goes and trains for 10 years to come back and assassinate uh, uh, an old man. Like, it's not, there's, no, there's no darker. He watched his mom being torn apart by the world. There's no darker origin uh, story in comics, I don't think. So well, I mean, you know. The, uh, it, allowed me to, it allowed me to tell a dark story, but still honor that core of that character. And I'm glad you brought that up because, full disclosure, I've never been somebody who was particularly fond of Iron Fist. When I booked the interview, I went out and got the whole series in trade paperback, read through it, and I didn't know how much of that origin was a reboot and how much of it you were taking directly from, I guess it was early 70s, Iron Fist. And it sounds like you took a lot from the original storyline. Oh, it is so close. It is so close to that original storyline. And, and, you know, I would encounter some fan resistance who were only familiar with maybe the um, Spider-Man cartoon that he was in or whatever, where he's kind of a goofy surfer guy. And they would be like, well, I can't believe he's, she wrote that his mom got eaten by wolves. That's just horrible and disgusting. I can't, and, and no, 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 that is his origin story. I am just telling you what happened. So, you know, these characters are, are, are elastic and they like to be pushed around. As, and I think as long as you honor that core of that character, uh, it just makes them stronger 
I think. And, and you know, that kind of brings a good point too. When you're working on a character that is longstanding, an iconic character, do do you want to take on a character? Well, you only, I guess, take on a character that's somebody you're a fan of, or somebody's like, hey, take on Martian Manhunter, and you've never read anything by Martian Manhunter. Would you take that on and do the research, or do you just want to take on guys who you have an affinity and love for? Well, it's both. I mean, there are characters I grew up with. Spider Man is my favorite character of all time, and Mine too. Uh, I loved working on him. I, I still love working on him. A character like Iron Fist, um, you know, I had worked on that character a little bit, but I didn't really, I had never read his origin issues. I didn't really understand who he was. And when um, the opportunity to do something with that character came up, I was like, well, let me look at that. Let me just read that stuff and just see what he's really all about. Because I didn't know him well enough to know if I wanted to work on him or not. And as soon as I read those first early issues, I was I instantly fell in love with the character because he's so classic martial arts, and I'm a huge martial arts fan of both fiction and and uh, and and uh, reality. So it was it really um, awoke a, an interest for me in the character, and uh, and doing the book is really a, you know created a love for that character. I think he's I think he's a great character. He's really cool. So then that kind of answered my question then. If creatively you went back and read his origin and it was just flat and you couldn't connect with it, you wouldn't have taken on that story. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's no there's no reason to uh, spend my efforts on a character I can't connect with. It's not, it wouldn't do me any good. It wouldn't do the fans any good. It wouldn't do the character any good. There has to be something there that you connect with and sparks like an, an urge. Like it's really the best thing you can do is to spark an urge to create that you can't hold back. And then you build up this precipice of energy. So when you finally start drawing those pages, you just can't stop. Like, that's what you want. Man, I'm about to squeal like a 13-year-old girl. I'm getting all my fanboy, like, <laughs> questions just totally fulfilled. Thank you, Kari. All right, let me ask you this one more thing on Iron Fist here, because I didn't know this. This is, this is an incredible piece of history to me. I read this little tidbit that you were the first person in Marvel – that wrote, inked, penciled, color, colored, did the whole thing for Iron Fist, that is staggering to me when I think of the tens of thousands of fucking books they've come out with that you were the first person who've ever done that. Hats off to you. That is incredible. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the first to do any character at Marvel, that, a 12-issue run of writing, penciling, inking, and coloring. And it's weird, but yeah, no no single person has ever done that before. And it was kind of a, it's a weird, awkward little bit of trivia, but for me, it's a little... I'll, I'll 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 wear that little badge of honor uh, on, the, on the inside for that. It's, it's a little matter of personal pride. It's like it's nice to think that there's still things to achieve in an industry that's been around for so long. I can't imagine how daunting that is of a task. And does it put does it really amp up the pressure? Because it's like, man, I am covering all facets of this. Or do you enjoy it all working with other creators? Or do you feel inhibited by working with other creators? Because I know even in the new book, you say, hey, this is written, art, and owned by me. It seems like you're kind of a lone yeah. wolf in the comic book world. Well, both. It's both. I love the lone wolf status. My favorite superheroes are lone wolf, whether it's Spider-Man or Batman. And I love, I love empowering um, the storytelling in every um, discipline to tell just a just a, this is what I want to do. Like, it, there is no compromise here. Those are my pencils, my inks, my colors, my words. Like, that is so fulfilling. But also, I do really enjoy collaborating. It's just a different experience. Like, when I work with, I just wrote a, um, 
a book uh, that uh, my good buddy Troy Nixie drew called The Black Sinister for Top Cross Comics. And when we work on that, it's like I want him to bring his stuff to the table. You know, like I want, when I collaborate with someone, I want them to own it and as much as I own it. And we can push each other up the mountain higher than any one man could go. That's, that's, the, that's the dream. And I just finished writing Immortal Iron Fist World that Afro Chan is drawing. And issue four just came out, six issues. It's on Comicsology only right now, but it's going to be collected from print in January. And again, uh, with that book, I want, I want Afu to just do his thing. And I want to support what he brings to the table, not control it, but empower it. And I think that's the best way to collaborate. Gotcha. All right. Um, with the Iron Fist thing, let's kind of wrap up Iron Fist with this. Netflix series, did it do the story justice? Is it what you wanted to see? Or did it kind of fall more on the commercial side? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's tricky. I mean, you know, characters are, hard, characters are tricky to translate to the screen. And, um, you know, I think the show is pretty cool. There's some really cool things in it. And um, I'm just interested to see what they do next for season two. All right. Fair enough. Okay. We are going to talk about, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. I love Renato Jones. We're going to get Fern in here because she's never read a comic book before. This was her first comic book experience. But before we do, we've got to take a quick 20 second break for our sponsor. Um, Kari, I think you're going to like today's sponsor. Are you ready, D? Uh, <laughs> Destitute. Humiliate. Subjugate. Impoverished. Eradicate. Oppression by Renato Jones. Because if you're not into oppressing the poor, you're not truly super wealthy. I'm glad the show has some corporate backing now. I like it. I like it. How meta. How meta. I, 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 I applied you. That's great. Yeah, and I love the ads. I love the like tongue-in-cheek jabs of just the corporations and the power struggle. And we're going to get to all of that here in a second. But first, let me get Fern in here because I had wrote you and I said, hey, I just mailed you know season one to Fern. She has never read a comic book before. And I thought it would be really neat to get like a clean slate opinion because first, you just had your first comic book virgin experience, right? R- Renato Jones popped my cherry. Popped my comic book cherry. <laughs> totally. Busted my cherry. Exploded it. my cherry. It was so fantastic. Okay, so I did a lot of reading as a kid. I was a novel reader. Like, I was heavy into Stephen King, Dean Koontz. Um, I was I was a total book nerd, like education, 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 research, research, research. It's kind of what I do. And my only experience with a comic uh, of any description was like bazooka gum or maybe an occasional episode of like Mad Magazine. That was it. And when you when you draw on like the Batman movies, like those were highly influential to me as a kid. We you know the Batman movies and the original Christopher Reeve. Superman movies, we had Margot Kidder on the show, which was awesome. Um, and that, that character, Lois Lane, like really impacted me as a kid. So comics impacted me without me really realizing that they impacted me, but I never immersed myself in a comic. For anyone out there who has never read a comic, for a reader of a book, um, you know, a researcher, somebody who likes to read articles, here's the thing about comics for me. I don't have to 
visualize in my head. Like I have, like what you do is you take your vision and you really put it to paper in these panels and I don't have to kind of come up with my own scenario. I think in a comic, the artist's vision comes through a lot more clean and concise than in a book. Now, a book is great because you can lose yourself, but I lost myself in Renato Jones. I seriously sat down. I was in a bathtub and started reading it. I had to get out, and I was like, okay, i got to get out of the tub. I can't read the whole thing. And then sat down and finished it in one sitting. Like, I could not put this down. And it was amazing. Like, so anything I know about comic book superheroes, I don't, I don't want to give too much away for the readers because they definitely have to go and get this. Absolutely. You have to. Like, it's a, it's a splurge purchase. Go get it. Support it. It's amazing. Um, you, you understand about comic book heroes that there's a lot of pain, there's loss, there's a history. I really felt all of that. And the, just, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm kind of like stumbling because I'm kind of fangirling out now with my first experience. This is amazing. I'm getting season two. I'm getting everything that you write. This is awesome. It's amazing. Thank you very much because I'm glad that I have this experience with this comic. It, it, it was just that good. It was just that good. I love it. You so turned me into a go. comic geek. Good job, Kari. You've converted another oh, that's, one. That's, that's, that's really cool. It's, it's fun to see, like, um, uh, any 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 first reader of anything you do is like it's just interesting to hear, you know. Especially because I like the thing I like about comic books specifically. I also you know do some directing in film and television, and when I do comic books, I'm just so invested in the specific visual vocabulary of comics. Like there's some things that can only exist in comic books, whether it's um, sound effects or transitions or splash pages. There's some techniques that don't translate to other mediums and the when I do conference, I'm always looking to to keep it in that, to use the vocabulary that's there and not pretend it's another medium, you know? And a good thing connection-wise, and I told Furness on the phone the other day, is I see the world kind of in comic book panels just because I've been a fan for so long. And a few weeks ago when Steve Minouche's wife came out and went on that insane Instagram rant about the poor and blah, 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 my first thought was, right. oh, Renato Jones would totally fucking take her down. That was the first thing. No, no political analysis. And I'm a political animal by nature. I do a political show. I do political. I write for political sites. And the first thing that came through my mind was your book when I saw that. That's really funny. That's really funny. Well, I have to tell you, I, I am addicted to American politics. I, what I watch every night and every morning and uh, listen to uh, while, I, while I draw. Very uh, interesting yeah and i gotta tell you issue three of season two i mean the series is incredible but one of the best scenes i've ever seen in a comic book is this scene where the president is standing there and there's just all this feedback coming and it's like oh well we're gonna send anti-russian protesters to moscow to be tried and the boy scouts are gonna start monitoring like monitoring illegals and i just thought that was a brilliant moment and I could just see before you even said anything that you are very involved in keeping up with the political and what's going on in this country. What, here's what's weird about Renato Jones is when I started writing the book, um, it was a very different time in the political landscape of America. And I was writing kind of a social satire, but really an action adventure, just a modern action adventure story. 
And the politics of the day crept up on me. And while, while I was doing Renato Jones, began to outpace the satirical nature of Renato Jones, where I had to, in response, I either had to back off or just lean in. And I just chose, there's only, I allowed the book to get crazier because the world was getting so crazy. I wanted to keep it a satire. And it was hard because things are so crazy right now. Like the world is so nutty. It's actually been a challenge to, to go beyond what is actually happening in the, in the real world. Yeah, and I saw a lot of that in there, and I was always wondering while I was reading this, like how much of this story is mapped out from day one, and how much of it is, oh my God, this happened today, Trump said this, this scandal's going down. How much of it is you have to cost, constantly pivot and inter, like weave what's going on culturally, political in this country, and how much of it is just basic structure from when you, the inception of the idea? Yeah, well, for me, when I write, I, I map out a beginning, middle, end, and I, um, I plot it all out. And then as I'm doing each issue, I allow that story to change if it wants to, but I already have, I have an uh, arc mapped out. And it really was just a strange merger, an unintentional merger of reality, my fictional reality and, and the real world. And <laughs> what, what, I, what I started to allow myself to do is just if some of that dialogue in Renato Jones is really just straight up from our times and it's, so ridiculous to, to see it written out. It feels like satire, and so I, I just allowed it to stay um, as a weird in joke <laughs> for myself about the, the ridiculousness of, of this world. That, you know it, that it just can exist in my satire, but also exist in just reality. So it's, a, it's a crazy. These are crazy times, you know. And I totally get having to use that as an outlet because I do the same thing like doing political comedy. I do the same thing. It's like it's so absurd. It either eats you up alive or you kind of have to pivot and put a Mad Magazine spin on everything to keep yourself sane. Yeah, and I don't want to create a political book. It's not supposed to be a political book, but it just, just, you know, it kind of does exist in that space because of the events of today. Yep, could not agree more. Okay, I know we got to get you out of here. Let me finish up with this. I was scrolling the internets. I ran across this YouTube page of this guy that was like, Car, Car Andrews is a, is a like censorship goon and, and a false flagger. And it was just, I'm not even going to say the name of the YouTube site because I don't want to direct any traffic there, but just the conspiracy theories about you. And there was a couple other comic book artists in there and just weird Jewish conspiracy theories and Illuminati deep state crap. Have you personally gotten a lot of backlash because of Renato Jones? Is there a lot of people crawling out of the woodwork and calling your book propaganda or anything like that? Well, here's here's what's weird is that um, I've gotten some internet attention from a, uh, I'll call them an alt-right comic book group, not because of Renato Jones, but because I created a young uh, Asian female character that... Uh, is going to be a, a new Iron Fist at some point. And my current book that I'm doing, writing a Marvel, Immortal Iron Fist, stars both Danny Rand as Iron Fist, but training a young female Asian monk from Kunlun in New York to one day become the next Iron Fist. Wow. And it really, really, that, that's what has offended a certain group of people, that, that how dare our book feature a female character, an Asian character, uh, in the same... <laughs> with the same importance of this uh, Caucasian uh, superhero. So 
You know what it is? It's a very small, very tiny, impotent group that pretends they have larger numbers by using multiple Twitter accounts and multiple Facebook accounts. And they, they try to get people fired when they can. And they try to create a lot of noise and try to divide the industry. But, you know, it's just minor. It's just it's going to pass. These guys, you know, they come and go. Uh, it's nothing I worry about. But it is, it is a thing that our industry is dealing with this week. You know, maybe next week it'll be something else, like some kind of other, 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 other thing. But again, it's the politics of the moment. I think fringe groups have kind of taken the politics of today as a, as a, as an excuse to have big voices or try to assert themselves into the conversation. But I don't know. In my, in my mind, there's just some yahoos on the internet and, you know, they'll, they'll fade back into the shadows next week. I really hope you're right. And Fern, we talk often about how these extremists politically and in any, even with Walking Dead and everything else, are kind of trying to control the narrative, right? Yeah, it, they are. And But I have to wonder, you know, some of these people who come out, I, like I have to wonder if they're just trying to to ride on your coattails. You know, one of my favorite things from you know, season one that I read was when you said the tongue of a five-foot snake swirling around your anus, hiding his teeth while he looks for your wallet. Like, do you think some of these people are – that was brilliant, by the way. I, I got that visual, and I was like, wow. And you were talking about, you know, privilege and the gluttony that comes with wealth. And But do you think that some of these people are just trying to kind of ride your coattails and, like, say, hey, if I attack this guy, maybe I can get some attention and, and use him to, you know, bring attention towards me? I mean, does that, does that seem logical, or do you just kind of blow him off and say, whatever, you're just not important? 100%. I mean, what it is generally is a couple of the more prominent members of these groups are aspiring conflict creators themselves that never made it. And I think they have a lot of, I think they love the medium and I think there's a lot of hurt in their hearts that they're not a, more a part of it. Kind of like and how Hitler kind of was a become, frustrated artist, right? A failed well, watercolor painter, yeah. So I think they found a way to kind of become part of the industry in a, in a hurtful way, but it allows them to have some kind of importance, at least in some people's minds, just by stirring up some trouble. But I don't know. I, feel, I actually feel bad for these guys. I think um, there are better ways to spend your energy when, when you love something than to try to destroy it or to try to destroy other people that, that are involved in it. And there's, there's probably more ways that would make them feel better about life to become part of that industry, part of the conversation, than, than trying to get people fired or or you know, try to bait people to Twitter wars, or or, or or try to start some start some some stuff. You know, I, I honestly feel sorry for some of these guys, and uh, you know, I think there's. I just wish they would uh, find a way, find a way, find a way to to be better people. Beautifully stated. We've been down that same road ourselves with people in the political realm. All right, let's end there. Um, Kari, I want to thank you so much for calling in. This was a true treat for us. Um, before you go out the door, why don't you tell everybody where we can find you online and what you've got coming up work-wise? Yeah, we can find me on the Twitter, the Instagram, and the Facebook, all by name, Kari Andrews. That's K-A-A-R-E Andrews. And uh, I am currently working on season two of Renato Jones. Issue four should hit the end in a couple weeks or something like that. And you can also catch Immortal Iron Fist, which I'm writing. Um, and it's an amazing art by Afri Chian. And that's on exclusively on Comixology right now. And it will be collected in print in January from uh, Marvel in a, in a trade. 
Nice. Any directing coming up? Yeah, you can actually catch a couple episodes of Van Helsing season two. I directed episode six and seven of that show, and I think they air November 9th and 16th. It's, a, it's an awesome show um, created by Neil Abuse, and uh, it's some kick-ass uh, vampiric action and adventure. Beautiful. All righty, sir. Thank you so much for calling in today. Goodbye, guys. Spider-Man!